love to all the genres you didn't know you loved. Tune in and vibe out with me, Calvin Williams, Wednesday mornings from midnight to 1 a.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Jessica Hines. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me, as always. Thank you, thank you. And our special guest today is Ken Furlick, who uh, is an accidental mystic. Ken, are you on the line? Hello, Ken? Oh, wait, hang on. Oh, there you go, Ken. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. Thank you, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to be talking about mysticism and mystic, uh, the uh, uh, the term accidental mystic. Why don't we first start off with that and how you identify as a accidental mystic? Well, basically, um, I didn't know what a mystic was. And if somebody asked me um, at one time, I would have said they're probably involved in some spiritual tradition and having some kind of experiences. But um, I was trained as a radiation physicist, and um, I always thought maybe the body was an energy detector because I never saw what I worked with. I always used instruments. So I thought, well, if the body detects energy, and if I could figure out how to do that, that could be quite interesting. So I was studying psychics, and one of the psychics mentioned to me that I was a mystic. So I went back to the dictionary and said, what's a mystic? And a mystic, by definition, was somebody who accessed the source of creation through love. And what happened to me was, many years ago, there was a lady I was working with who asked me to look at a retreat center, and she had some issues going on in her life that made my made me think that, you know, why does she want to look at a, building a retreat center when she's got all this stuff going on? So I took a piece of string and attached it to my heart and her heart and said there was a check valve that I'll read her heart, but she wouldn't read anything in mine. And I was led to create certain rituals for her. And I did that out of a profound compassion for how I felt she was bound. And lo and behold, out came this really wonderful, playful, creative spirit that I saw 20 years earlier in a uh, religious tradition. And in that process, along came an awareness about the universe and an understanding that just completely transformed my life. So, um, and basically I've been living it. And it has to deal with love and um, how creation unfolds and how there's more happening to creation than we realized. So amazing, so, so um, amazing, yeah. Apparently yeah. I met the definition of a mystic and I accidentally stepped into it, so... Some people refer to me as a mystic. I just see myself as somebody who sees life quite differently than what we've been taught to believe. And would you consider this the ultimate accident, or what is the ultimate accident? How does that play into... Basically, you step yeah. into the source of creation in some way, and after you step into it, your perception of creation changes profoundly. Um, you see life differently. You don't see... Oh, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. Um, you see, uh, uh, what I've come to understand, there's a love behind creation. People are being guided and cared for in ways that they just never imagined. Some people talk about spirit guides or guarding angels. I've never seen them, but I can. I know a person's life is guided. I can look at a life and 
and tell you whether or not the person's tracking their path or whether or not they're stepped off it in some ways for some reason. Usually there's things that happen in life like trauma, pain, fear of something that forces a person to step away from the passion in their heart. It centers around, it centers around the passion in the heart. If you want to access the source of creation, the easiest way is through the passion that's unfolding within a heart. But most people don't live their passion because they've been programmed to live other than who they are because of the way they've been taught to survive in society. At least that's my experience. Yeah, it seems to me like so many people perceive or, or seem to promote the, the narrative that they're, they're struggling to survive, you know, that they're kind of like, you know, working two or three jobs. They're kind of, you know, going about their lives and they don't have the time, quote unquote, for indulging in these kinds of things. And I, you know, they're, they're kind of struggling just to make it. And how would you address that concern or how would you address that, that narrative? Simply that everybody has an internal compass. What you're here to do has been programmed in your, in your heart, in your being. You can feel it. The best, best way I can explain it is, is you came into creation for a reason. It is what has given you life to be here. As you live that life, you have a passion for life, you have a joy in life, you have a fulfillment in life. And when you live according to this inner guidance, you'll find life very fulfilling. If you go against it, you'll feel always life is missing. There's something missing in life. You're missing something somewhere and you don't know what it is. So the best way I can explain it to people is you've got to take a hard look at really what makes you feel alive in life. You know, some people... Are poets, some are authors, some are, are engineers, some are people, who, car mechanic who loves working on cars, be in his passion and be perfectly happy. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. yeah. I, yeah. I think that that's uh, so true that there's not, you know, there's nothing stronger than it, that exists outside of yourself that I think, you know, can, can help you understand like what is the going to be the most fulfilling path for you. And I, I work with so many creatives and there's a lot of this like, oh, I should do this with my art or my creation. I should do that. And this is what makes the most sense. And oftentimes those are people where I'm like, it's not making them happy. And so making these logical choices that everyone says makes sense and is best for their career is very, very different than what is actually fulfilling to them. And the amount of just, you know, I mean encouragement but also sometimes i feel like you know i'm I'm always like you don't need permission from anyone but yeah. yourself to you know but but oftentimes people look for that because i think they've been you know trained by society or the industry that they're in um but yeah it's it's really amazing to see the difference in the energy of a person or just like their face and their it, it really is just their the whole energy and just like you can feel when people are you know, even though it's like still in writing, I work with people where it's like, but when someone's writing on something that like they really care about versus something where the intention, the the reason they're working on it is because it is logical and makes sense or would make more money and they're just tortured. It's probably more painful for them to do their work on a project for the wrong reason than it would be for them not to be doing that work at all. Yeah. Well, one of the problems I see is people think when you say creativity, they think of artists, musicians, painters, and the answer is we're all creating every moment yeah. by how and what we think and we believe. And what I found is when a person really re, re, 
leases the passion in their heart, they may take up a, quote, a traditional creative act like poetry or painting, but that doesn't mean that's their livelihood. That doesn't mean that's what they should be doing in life. Often, the type of creativity they access when they first release their passion is only that creative spirit experimenting and finding itself. There was one lady I worked with who was Iranian, and she started to spout the most beautiful Persian poetry, and everybody thought she was the reincarnation of a young Persian, Persian woman who died early, who was a fantastic poet. And she did that for probably about six months, then all of a sudden she had the urge to go to California, got involved with real estate, but ended up buying a meditation center and um, was perfectly happy doing that. And it was like, where's the poetry? And the answer was the poetry wasn't the end. The poetry was a means to an end. And a lot of people, and I think this is a true for a lot of musicians, because I came very close to going into music, we think because we're, quote, creative or having a wonderful experience with this particular type of talent, that that's where our life is. And it's not necessarily. You have to follow it and it attracts differently as you go through life. Yeah, I mean, I can, for me, you know, my entry point really was poetry and, and poetry was, you know, a, a thing that saved me and was a way of like the first time I felt like I was capable of communicating what was inside of me. And that led to, you know, playwriting, which led to screenwriting, which, you know, really was what led me to teaching and guidance, which is to me like the place where I finally felt like, oh, this is like, this is what this all was leading to, you know, that, yeah. that like, like, you know, I always enjoyed writing and I still do um, in all of those forms, but that, you know, when you realize like what you can do in a way where you understand like the world, I'm helping the world as much as the world is helping me and I'm helping other people. For me, that like level of service was so important to find. And, you know, if it wasn't for any of those art forms before it, I'm not sure I would have been able to or gotten to the place that I am now. And I think that, you know, that it's so great. Like I love the fact that like I write, I do music and there's no part of me that, wants to do music for other people or to make uh -huh. money or even to perform. Like it's yeah. just having a creative outlet that is for just creativity and nothing else. And just for the expression of the moment or the connection to the greater, you know, whole or, you know, finding that place where I'm so present that everything's moving through me. Like that's what music is for me. And, and there's no, and there's something really beautiful and wonderful about, having that as like a private thing rather than yeah yeah but that should be your life mm -hmm. the 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 presence of the energy flowing through you being present to it should be basically every moment of your life yeah so what you do in life the idea <sighs> is to to find something to do in life where you can be that now if you can't well then you have to learn to dance with the world because you're compromising yourself to some extent and if you compromise yourself too much you'll become a hollow shell. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's interesting because it, like when I teach, I feel, I feel that when I teach and that's like my public way of doing it, yeah. I guess. Like I feel that like nothing feels more in tune with the world and my mind is at, and my body is at peace when I'm in that moment working with, with uh, other people and that 
But then like, it's like my, my mind gets very loud and chaotic when I'm alone and yeah. I don't have someone to help. And so I think that that's why like having that when I'm alone, you know, that's that, you know, either writing or, or collage work or, uh, you know, music is the way where it's like, I, I found, I find that connection and that calm, you know, without having another person in front of me to, to, to do that energetic give and receive thing. Yeah. That brings up two interesting points. One is creation is not done alone. You can't have an experience of creation without that other, whether it's a person, an object, mm -hmm. a beautiful sunset. Um, that other is very important for the experience of creation, and, and is that experience with the other allowing us to feel the fullness of our being. The second thing is, is the reason why most people never fully live their passion is, is there's nobody in their life who will create the space and give them permission just to become who they need to become, whatever, whatever it looks like. Um, every person needs to have the space to come out and experiment and find out who they really are and what they really look like. Yeah. It seems to me like also the ego is always interfering. The What we want, we think we what we want, or what, what, what we think is the, the way, the right way, or the correct way of doing things. It seems to be a theme in what we're talking about. And uh, Ken, I know you have some talk about like the feminine energy versus the masculine energy about how we can allow things to happen, how we can permit it to flow through us uh, in that regard. Uh, maybe I, uh, how you use these terminologies to identify ways of being in, uh, in allowing the energy as opposed to ego-driven, kind of controlling kind of way. Can you talk well, a little bit about that, yeah. I, I think when you start <laughs> talking the masculine and feminine, <clears throat> Yeah, we all have not masculine part we all have a feminine part there there are creative tension the feminine is obviously very nurturing the masculine is a thrusting energy what people don't understand is that we have an inner masculine we have an inner feminine most people have their inner masculine castrated early in life so it never creates the space for the inner feminine to nurture and what, what needs to happen is the inner masculine has to be willing to go and get what it needs to grow and expand, and the inner feminine has to nurture that. The best way I can explain it is sort of like a flower. A flower, when given its proper nutrients and what it needs, will germinate, it will grow, it'll bud, it'll flower, it'll blossom, and the, its fragrance goes into the world. Humans are like that. The question is, what do we need to blossom? Well, we have to be willing to look inside and go and meet those true needs. That's where the inner masculine comes in, to get the inner needs that we need to grow. And the inner feminine nurtures us. Most people are looking for somebody externally to give them what they have to give themselves inside. So a man will look for a woman to give her, get something from her that she need, he needs to give himself, but he doesn't know how to do it. So he keeps getting frustrated because none of the women give him what he needs and the same is true for a woman that she's not getting what the man she wants from the man because she's got to learn to give it to herself yeah if that makes sense to you no, yeah yeah totally i mean i've been working for the past three years on you know someone who grew up in a complicated household you know i started working hard on on meditations and doing meditative work for you know providing for oneself all the things that a lot of people look 
mm-hmm. outside of themselves. And so that like self compassion, you know, and I would say I've always held more of a masculine and builder energy, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, in my, in my life. And that's, I've always been very driven in that sense. And so developing that, you know, I call her like my, uh, uh, my, my inner, my inner mother character who I often, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have my soul mother, you know, I have a soul mother meditation that comes out and holds the the baby body as I like to call it. Cause sometimes yeah. that's what I feel like. Yeah. And, um, and it is something I, you know, I, I like to interact with people and be like, you know, until you know how to like work, it's wonderful to find that in other spaces and activities and people, but having the ability to, to give yourself all of those things and provide the those energies for yourself is one of the most effective and wonderful things that I've ever learned how to do and, and requires an intense amount of what I found is just release and surrender more than anything else, um, at least in my experience with it. But I, I definitely think that that's something where, I mean, obviously both of those energies um, exist in everyone. And I actually find that, you know, it's and it's not you know, some people will bump on masculine versus feminine because of the discussions we have about, you know, gender and sexuality, which is a completely different thing. So I usually end up talking to people about like, you know, one is a time to birth versus one is a time to build. Yeah. Um, which is just another unpoliticizing, if you will, the yeah. the labels of, of those energies as, as I've interpreted it. Well, it, it's definitely a dance, and um, I think people aren't taught how to look within to really get what they need. I mean, the problem I have with meditation is a person will sit and watch their thoughts, and they're not aware of where what's really causing a lot of those thoughts to arise. So, I mean, if you've had certain types of beliefs or life experiences that don't serve you, sitting in meditation isn't going to change them. Um, I think it's about becoming aware of one's life. Uh, I think Vijay said something about the ego. The ego, technically, there's nothing wrong with the ego. The, the ego is just a vehicle for creation. I mean, if I choose the ego of a father, I can play the role of the father. If I choose it as a corporate executive, I choose another personality. They're just sort of like vehicles that we can step into. But the question is, what makes us believe that that ego that we're using is the one that's really serving us? I don't know if this makes sense to you, but it's like some people are in leadership positions who don't like to lead. They don't want to be leading, but they're leading for whatever reason, for a paycheck. So they're lousy managers, you know. Um... So the question is, what really serves us? What allows us to have that fullness of being and the richness of life that flows naturally? And usually what keeps us out of it is our ego, but the ego technically isn't the problem. It's what we have chosen that ego to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, the, well, that the role we're assuming uh, actually matches with our uh, you know energy flow and then matches with our ultimate uh destiny or what we're looking for or we're kind of going for and like it seems like we're always traumatizing ourselves we're always going through these energies energies which are hurting us and then we're kind of recovering or we're trying to heal from that with by 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 controlling or over controlling the uh the uh th- trying to control outside of exterior circumstances rather than looking inside to see what's going on really and 
and yeah. what can we allow to happen? Yeah. Yeah, and I, know, I, I tell people to pay attention to how they're feeling. Do they feel an expansion and a fullness and, and a satisfaction in what they're doing, or are they somehow denying themselves? And usually we end up avoiding pain, so we numb ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the exercises I give is what I call discerning personal truth, is you can feel what's true for you. I mean, if you tell yourself a lie, you can feel it. And when you become aware of that, you can begin to discern what's serving you and not serving you. And rather than learning what serves us, we end up just following the beliefs that we're told about what's important in life, and often that isn't the case. Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing that kind of brings this, what all of this seems to have in common, which I think is is something that I come back to constantly with the people that I work with, which is that, you know, most of these, a lot of people are looking at tools as answers and like, like, like meditation's a tool. It's not an answer. Yeah. And egos, everything can be used as a tool. And, you know, the, the value of the tool is how you use it and what you tell yourself about the use of that tool. And, and, on our, you know, uh, the, our experience often comes more from that story we tell ourselves and the way in which we do things rather than necessarily have them. So, because, you know, I know plenty of people that have tried, you know, meditation or have tried, you know, uh, writing and creativity and they say like, oh, well, it didn't, it wasn't the answer for me. And I'm like, it's not an answer. It's, it's, it's a tool. It's, it's yeah. only how you use that. Um, and uh, yeah. And I think that if people. Well, you know, you bring up an important point. If you think about playing an instrument, if you think about poetry, if you think about writing, they're also tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you said, is this serving me? I mean, at one point in your life, you said you were writing a lot, okay? And the writing was serving you, and at that time, that was a good tool. If you were successful when you published, then you say, I am a writer. Now you've defined yourself by that tool, which may have only been useful for a given point in your life. And then you run around frustrated because I can't access that creative talent I had in writing that I had when I got my first book published. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's the, I mean, and that's what I think ego really is, is uh, I, I don't think ego is identity. I think ego is the false belief of a fixed permanent identity when yeah. no identity that we have is, is permanent or is meant to be permanent. And, you know, I, I often tell people, I'm like, I actually would, I think it's more effective to say like, when people ask like, what do you do? To, rather than say, oh, I'm a writer and I'm this, because those are like, I'm not, I'm not a dancer right now, but yeah. I dance, you know? So it's like to identify what I, so I like saying something like, well, today I wrote, today I read, today I taught, today I ate, you know, and let other people form, you yeah. know, an identity around that. But I, I do feel that and I, I meet with a lot of people who have so much pain because they're like, I used to do this and it brought me so much joy and now it lo- no longer brings me joy. And there are some people I work with where we we can get them back to that place and it serves them. And then there's other people where I'm just like, you know, if there's something else that you that serves you more and gives you like, you, you know, you can't live for yourself 10 years ago. You can't you know, you needed those things at that time for a reason. And you know, that's paying attention to the now. And I think that's the biggest thing with all of this with people is, you know, you can't fix yourself in the past. You can't change anything, you know, fix you in five years, but you can sit down and listen to yourself right now and be like, honestly, like, what are the things I'm feeling that I've been numbing myself to? What have I been, 
what's been in the peripheral of my vision that I've been avoiding looking at and how do I just sit with that and first accept it? And then after accepting it, you know, what is the next step of, of what direction would be most helpful to move in or what is the thing that is missing that I can start to provide for myself? But I do think it's like really just being present in the moment is the place where I think so much of the inability to heal our own suffering comes from because it's a refusal. Like there's this refusal to like, look at what's actually causing our pain. That's true. And I will say the issue is, is in that present moment, you're going to make a choice. And the question is, where is that choice coming from? Is it coming from a choice to move into something that's fulfilling or are you choosing based upon the programming you've had in the past as to what, is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we determine, I think we determine what's important from acting from the heart, allowing that love to flow through us and a uh, connective energy that not going from aversion or hatred, but moving from love, moving from true uh, compassion, moving from compassion for ourselves and for, our, for, our, for those around us, for our community, and really moving towards a more positive, you know, but how do we step towards that? How do we, how do we uh, approach that kind of place of being? Well, you know, you, you mentioned about um, love. Um, you can't give what you ain't got. Yeah. I mean, if I ask you for $50 right now and you don't have it, you can't give it to me. If you do, you can give it to me. Yeah. The same is with love. If you don't learn, learn to nurture your true needs, you're not giving love to anybody else. Mm. And this is something people don't understand. And maybe this is where the mystical stuff steps in. You have to learn to love yourself as a beautiful, unfolding creation. Well, first of all, most people don't think creation's beautiful. They're trying to escape it. All right? The question is, then why did you incarnate? Um, Each person has a uniqueness. Each person has an inherent beauty. Each person has a vehicle, namely their body, that is the perfect vehicle for what they have chosen to experience. And the question is, can you love yourself and what you incarnated to do and what you're here to do and see yourself as that beautiful unfolding creation? If you can see that in yourself, you'll give that to everybody in your life and you will have that compassion, you'll have that love. You will do, when you see a person in front of you, you will then see how they are unable to access their beauty and you will show them how to do it. But if you don't do that for yourself, get in touch with it, you can't give that to anybody. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you have very good, um, on your website, I think for the audience, it's info. You have some really great information there about, um, you know, visualizations as well. That might be a good place to step into kind of visualizing uh, the goal and visualizing. And tell us a little bit about how visualization plays into uh, kind of creating the, the kind of atmosphere, creating the kind of inner climate that you want for yourself and that, that, that'll be aligned and, and help you kind of visualize it. Because you know, everything starts with the imagination and in the imagination, everything is born. And then from there, we kind of create this whole vision for ourselves. So tell us a little bit how visual, visualizations might play into it. Well, I, I think, I, I think there, there's a website. You could probably just do the search. Yeah. Um, for um, two views of creation, 
uh, and if you put my name with two views of creation, you'll probably get a couple files that come up. And basically, there's two views. One is the view of the mind, one's the view of the heart. The view of the mind is about consciousness. The view of the heart is about feeling. The heart feels the energy of creation unfolding. And if you're not in touch with your feeling and you suppress your feelings, then you're not going to feel or see that aspect of creation. In feeling, you will see things you can't see through the mind. But most people shut down their ability to feel because they've denied their heart in some way, and there's a pain, so they suppress it. And they use whatever you want. They can use drugs, they can use addictions, they can use preoccupation with their work. But um, if you're not open to feeling, you're not open to one of the primary ways of seeing creation. And that, to me, leads to a lot of addictive-type behaviors, because people don't want to wrestle with that pain they feel. I mean, um, I had a close friend who was associated with a 12-step program. And I was working with two physicians to set up a mind-body foundation, two separate physicians, different parts of the country. And I asked her, when are you done with the 12 steps? She says, well, as an addict, we're always recovering. And I thought, that's interesting. Here I got physicians wanting to, quote, heal people, and she says we are always recovering. We don't heal. So I went and I looked at the 12 steps, and I looked at them from a creativity perspective. That is holding the creative spirit, what's in the heart, the passion. And what I came to see was that... um, the 12 steps don't go far enough. And basically what it is is the person's in the environment where they deny themselves, so they have an addiction. Then they go to the 12 steps, and they say, we accept you for you, who you are. You, you can be who you are. You can be open to us. You can be free with us. And then they go back into the world where they deny themselves. So they're constantly dancing between two worlds, one of which doesn't allow them to be free. The one is asking them to be free, so they never escape. Mm. But rather than break the ties that are causing them the pain, they stay in it. So I didn't do anything with it until I read about the founder of the 12-step program. And there was an article that, to me, I felt was rather critical of his early life. And I looked at it and said, well, I did that, I did that, I did that. I know what he was looking for. And then I saw why the article was criticizing, criticizing him, because he was choosing to look at things that weren't, quote, acceptable to his society. But rather than pursue them, he stayed in the society and ended up with the issue of addictions. Okay? That caused me to write the 15 Creative Step Guidelines that I put out there as another website. Because to me, people were denying that creative passion, and nobody was in their life giving them the space to truly express themselves in the way they needed to express it. I mean, the heart is, is, is much more profound than most people understand. Well, yeah, and even, you know, um, even, you know, contemporary studies on creativity in the scientific community, you know, find that creativity stems more from emotion than, you know, from like it's there's a lot of work being done now and testing that shows that, you know, without uh, like the most creative problem solving and thinking that happens you know, it comes more from emotion than it does from like what most people would in the science community would just be like, oh, it's this cognitive function and this happens here. And a lot of the studies I've been reading up on even, they're just like, it's like there has to be intense emotional stimulus. Well, let me, let me uh, interject here. I'd like you to separate emotions from feelings. Mm-hmm. Emotion is what we label a feeling. The feeling is what's important. 
And the person may say, the last time I had this feeling, it was in love, so I call it love. The last time I had this feeling, I really dislike somebody, so I will call it hate. The problem is, the feeling is just the flow of energy. Okay, we label it, and once we label it, we no longer pay attention to where the energy is carrying us and why it's there. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, yeah, of course. Like, that's why when I do my meditation work with people and we do the meditative writing, like, I don't even allow, you know, we remove the labels and, you know, we talk, we go through their past and we talk about what was the vibration in the body and what was that first label that someone taught you of that. And we try to dismantle that so that when you go down and it's and, and you find in your body, like, what's that emotional need or what's that physical sensation that's coming up in the body that... I, I wouldn't tell people, you know, right from, you know, the need for, uh, yeah, uh, comfort. I would there, um, I might identify it as like, there's a, there's a, for me, my personally, the way that it comes up is I'm like, there's like, it feels like there's a cactus in my chest yeah. and I'm, and I'm, and I'm allowing that cactus in my chest to pour out onto the page through these words. And, and from that, you know, births this, this other project. And I think that that's, you know, that's what I mean about like tools, whereas like for me, the guided visual meditation is simply a tool to get people to that place where they can fully be in the moment, feel what it is that they're feeling and then have that lead to creation without sort of the I mean, we're using words right now to communicate that even as a writer, you know, I agree that, you know, words are just labels that are representing, you know, concepts um, but no, I do think that that's something that's important for people to recognize is that you cannot create just from the head that it's really coming from the whole body. Yeah. I believe Ken also does some work in, uh, chakras, you know, looking at the energy sources within the body, the different areas in which, uh, and how we understand chakras to be like the centers of different creative forces within the body. And they start, and tell us a little bit about how that plays into your, um, your world vision or, or vision for, the 15 creative steps and such, yeah. Do you want me to be honest with you? Uh-huh. I threw them all out. Oh, yeah? I mean, if you go you if you if go into the way my websites are created, there's 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 like 1,800 files on the web. Yeah. You, you can access them all through hyperlinks one at a time, or my feeling was, well, if you want it all at once, pay $15, enter the password protected area, and go look there. And there is a uh, a questionnaire I used to have, um, and it was based on the chakras. Yeah. But what I come to understand is when you access the heart, and you're aware of the heart, and you're aware of the two views of creation, everything else is mental construct. Mm. Um, everything arises from... Okay, let me take a step back. Part of what today would be called a, quote, download, where people have awarenesses about creation. My download was that energy and consciousness are one and the same thing. If you go to the Eastern mystics, and I think Deepak Chopra is one of the ones who talks most about them, he'll say, creation is consciousness forming itself into flows, perceptions, visions, and whatever, and the rest is story. It's basically what he said at the Noetic Conference back in the summer. Yeah. And if you go to people like um, Nassim Harriman, he'll talk about a, an underlying energy that can form all of creation. Well, 
if you look at the definition of energy, it's the ability to make something happen. You look at conscious. When you're conscious, you can have the ability to make something happen. They're basically the same definition. So if you see energy and consciousness as basically flip sides of the same coin, the question is, how and what are you thinking, and how are you feeling? Those two things, when you become aware of them and work with them, you begin to realize most of the stuff we deal with is intellectual story. And it's about learning to flow with the energy of what's flowing into and through creation. It's like right now, everybody's upset about the world. My answer is, I'm not upset about it at all. And I would tell anybody who's worried about the world, go inside, take care of your work, and become very aware of how you're treating each and every person in your life, and are you following the path that you incarnated to do? Because if you're not here doing what you came to do, how can you fix the world because you're not doing what you came here to do. Yeah, I definitely think that we have to have you have to have understanding and getting tuned with that and understand what is it and and how and tell us a little bit more about the 15 creative steps about how do you get people to understand what they came here to do and what what their well, life what I, is. Well, I yeah. gave them if you if you you can do a web search or you yeah. can find it from the websites. There's an exercise called calibrating your internal compass. Yeah. When you get in touch with that passion in your heart, when you get in touch with what really makes you feel life is worth living, when you begin to understand what types and kinds of activities are what give you life, and you pursue them in life, you will be aligning with your life purpose. Okay? And some people here are here to do environmental work, but there's a lot of people who are so concerned about environmental work that they're not worried about taking care of their own children. Yeah. And then they wonder why the world is screwed up. And, and what I'm saying is, is there, there's another level to this. And the other level is, and whether people realize it or not, we create our experiences. And I can go so far as to say you're the creator of all the experiences in your life. So when something happens to you, the question is, you have to ask yourself, why did I create this? Otherwise, you're a victim. And you got a choice. Am I a victim in this world or am I a creator? And if I'm a victim, then I might as well, well, I won't say that because this is public radio. <laughs> um, it, it's like you're asking to say, I'm going to get screwed in life because I'm a victim. Yeah. But if you're a creator, then you have to start saying, why would I create this in my life? How do I create it? How do I discreate it? This is why I love the Hawaiian technique called Honopono. It's a beautiful way of dealing with the unknown that you created and letting it go. And there are techniques out there that allow you to see how you can actually be the creator of your experiences. And again, I go back to say, you can't have an experience without that other person. There was a gentleman who I knew who was in the first Iraqi war. He was discharged because his leg was shot up. And we were talking. And he said, I'm really concerned, Ken, that there was this young guy I blew away. I says, what's the issue? You wanted to be a soldier. He wanted to die a martyr. He gave you what you wanted. You gave him what he wanted. He looked at me, walked out, and since I own a store, he had something on layaway, I couldn't get in touch with him. And finally I got in touch with him. He says, Ken, I want to let you know I sold my towing company. I moved to Florida. I got my pilot's license. I'm now assistant manager of a small airport. Hmm. His life was transformed because he came to the realization that as a soldier, I needed that enemy. What people don't understand, if I'm a healer, I have to create sick people. 
If I'm a policeman, I have to create villains. If I'm a doctor, I got to create sick people. If I'm if I'm a teacher, I got to create people to teach. So if you're a creator, the identity you give yourself is very important because you're creating people in your life to fulfill that identity. Yeah, yeah. It feels to me a little bit like the to return to the idea of visualization. It turns to me a little bit like we have to really see that the, the how our worldview or how our roles are playing play out and be able to see with the heart, be able to feel with the heart that. Oh, this is the role I'm playing, and this is the roles that you know that I visualize that I need, and then we're able to kind of get a bird's eye view, if you will, or soaring view of our life, and be able to see what's out there in that playing field. You know, you got to become a detached witness, stand back yeah. and say, "Wait a minute, what's going on here?" Yeah. You know, and, and did this person attack me, or was I just the occasion for him to express something that was inside of him? Yeah. You know, we play roles for each other in ways that most people don't see. And this is where, I guess, the mystical aspect comes in, is when you can detach and become that observer and watch and, and take a look at a, at a different perspective, you begin to see that we take life personally when in many cases we're just playing a role. It's like an actor on a stage. He goes into the stage or she goes on the stage, she plays a role, and when she leaves the stage... Does she leave the role behind, or does she take it personally that um, the other actor somehow abused her? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I feel this, I think, the strongest with when I'm interacting with my friends, because I'm the type of person where I don't have uh, most of I have, like, really, really great friendships, but that are very individual. I'm not one of those people that has, like, like our group of friends. It's not, like, five right. people. and the it's hard for me ever to bring these people together because like I feel like I play such a different role in each of those friendships that yeah. when if you put them all together my body's just like I don't uh, yeah. and it just stands in place um See, now that's that's another beautiful thing you just said you are an infinitely creative being and you're going to have require an infinite number of experiences to find out who you are and there's no one person that's going to give you all those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some people you can approach the depth of your heart and being with, and another person you can get barely get past the intellectual chess game. Mm-hmm. But yet, yeah. both of them are serving you in a way to give you an experience of life. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, too, because I think for a long time uh, there was, I held a, a shame or this feeling that like there was something wrong with me because I felt like my identity fluctuated so much depending on every person I was with. And it took me a very long time to realize that, you know, I personally think it's a beautiful thing that it's like I'm always searching for the intersectionality of me and that person. And I'm looking for, like, how are we actually one person? And that and it allows me to feel deeper parts of myself when I when I surrender to that. And that, you know, that's a that's not a lack of identity, but it is a understanding of the massive depth of identities, which we have. And, you know, it is it's something that, like, I now crave because I just I want to be able to find that place where I'm like, I and this person are one because it's just so much more beautiful and satisfying and connecting um, than just interacting with someone on a more surface level. Mm. Well, I, I mean, I agree, and I think this is one of the problems that a lot of people who consider themselves boyfriends and girlfriends or husband and wife run into, is there, a, there is an assumption based upon 
the way the world has unfolded. But there is this one person that's going to make you happy or be fulfilling across the board, and that ain't the case. Mm. You know, um, mm. I know. You know, there, there's the traditional story about a guy wanting a night out with the boys, or the lady wanting a night out with the girls, and the spouse doesn't understand that. Well, if the spouse understood themselves, they would be able to say, "Well, yeah, okay, there's people that can give you experiences I can't." And I love you. Go have those experiences that make you feel fulfilled. Mm. Um, that's where the beauty of a, a true love comes in, where you're nurturing the needs of another. Is like, do I try and hold this person in my life captive for me, or do I say, okay, they need to have other experiences, and am I free to let them go and have those experiences for them to become fully who they are? That's where real love comes in. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I feel like in the past I've, been you know i've been through relationships where where people were like you know you know and i people always like oh no no you know jealousy is good in relationships and i i disagree about that and this idea that you know if you truly do love someone you would never want to withhold them from having a profound experience or doing something that you know touches them in that way and that it's just the this weird recent construct of like this one person is supposed to fulfill everything that just has always confused me and even as a child like made absolutely no sense to me um but i see a lot of people suffer a lot of pain because either they feel like they can't find that person or they feel so incapable of providing that for other people that they're not even trying to connect because they're like oh well i have to make myself good enough to find someone, you know, to, to, to be there for someone. And, and it's, and it, and it, it's, it sucks and it hurts. And, you know, me, when I think about that, that, you know, you don't have to become anything other than yourself right. <laughs> to be able to show up and be present and, and, and have those moments with people. It's, it's much, to me, it's much more that active, you know, earlier I talked about building or, you know, well, birthing. I think something that goes along with that is no two people ever need to separate. And I'm not talking about married couples or boyfriends or girlfriends. I'm talking about any two people who get together and have a wonderful relationship, okay? They can continue to have that relationship, but it doesn't mean it's going to be continuous throughout their life. They may dance, and they may get together for a while and then separate. They come back, they separate. But the point is, if you make a commitment to somebody and the unfoldment of their heart and their passion and who they came to be, you'll never separate from them. You may be physically removed from them for a while, but you're never going to be separate from them. When they come back into your life, you'll just pick up where you left off. Yeah, that's, I mean, almost all my friendships are, are like that, where it's like we may, we may hang out every day for six months and then not see each other for a year, and mm. we just sort of float in. And the people I have, you know, like, we all just kind of agree. We're like, there's times yeah. where we need each other and want each other. There's times where it's not necessary. And there's never any like, this is the rules of our relationship is this is the shoulds. And this is what we have to do. It's just, mm. you know, and they all know that if they needed anything, they could call out to me and I would be there in a second. And, and I think vice versa. And I would say also that the people that we have negative relationships too, we mm. carry with us in some level and that we have to reconcile those feelings. We have to have come to a point where we realize that sometimes we carry a lot of those negative uh, relationships as well in our minds that we have a connective tissue with and reconcile and forgiving and, and make and going through the motions of, of 
uh, you know, confronting those feelings is important for us to heal and for us to move forward so that then we can, we will carrying with us positive relationships. You know, would you say? Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, again, I, I go back to the point that everybody is in our life in a mutual agreement. Yeah. And if two people don't get along, and I think this is where people start getting into the past life stuff and karma and all that is, you know, why would I create such a person in my life? And the answer is, well, we have to look within and understand that. And usually there's a deep connection there. I think, I, I think one thing that people don't understand is I, I set an intention a long time ago when I was a manager. Um, there were people that I found I, was, I had difficulty getting along with. So I thought, well, you know, if, if I set the intention to be unconditional love. Um, I can tolerate these people. So I did. And as soon as I did that, I came to an awareness of why Christ said, love your enemy. If you need to have an experience of being so angry to kill somebody, who would risk their life for you to have that experience? Only somebody who loved you. Because if they didn't love you, they wouldn't say, I'm not going to throw my life away for you. But if somebody loved you, they would say, look, if this is really what you needed, I'll be there for you, and I will play that role. I think this is something about the Judas Christ relationship that people don't understand. Yeah. I won't. I would not be surprised if Christ went up to Judas and said, "Hey, I need somebody to betray me for this role to be played out." And okay. Judas saying, "Well, why are you asking me?" And it's because you love me, mm. and I need somebody. Would you do it for me? Yeah. And I could see where he would reluctantly say, "Yeah, fine, I'll do it for you." That that's always what I thought it was. As yeah. what I'm like, I remember the Gnostics. I think uh, going to that in a little bit. Uh, was the last vision of Christ I watched. Mars because mm. he goes a little bit into that. So that's definitely something that is out there that people think about and reflect on. And what is the nature? What and, and unpacking all these mythologies and and religious traditions, unpacking them to understand their real meaning and their hidden meaning is part of the process so that we can then understand for ourselves what, what role do we play in that yeah. drama. And I, and I think especially yeah. with, you know, when that person's not physically in front of you, like if you're carrying that person in your mind, you yeah. know, they're serving a purpose. And this idea of, I've worked, you know, with working with people on like letting go and, yeah. and, you know, just if you are carrying someone in your mind who is, in your mind, like abusive or wrong or harmful, it's, you know, it's serving a purpose. You wouldn't be carrying them in your mind unless they are serving something that you believe, you know, is, is helping you on some conscious or unconscious level. And mm. so I, I think sometimes about that, if there's someone in my mind that I'm like, oh, I don't like that person. I'm like, well, what part of your identity are they serving and validating? And yeah. then I can deal with what's really going on underneath it. So we're starting to wind down, but I just make a few quick announcements before we, uh, before we sure. start to close, Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So it helps for our mission. We invite you to make a one time donation, a monthly pledge at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. You can also go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash shoot to power to sponsor this individual show. Every cent helps us continue to stay on air. So please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions to tax deductible to folks into law. You can also donate to RadioFooking.org, uh, RadioFooking through shopping through Amazon Smile, Amazon's charity initiative where you can stop and support a nonprofit of your choice at the same time. It costs you nothing. Just go to RadioFooking.org slash smile to sign up for your smile account. 
Uh, if you're listening to this uh, on in, in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile apps or iPhone or Android at the app stores at those respective um, Google Play Store or uh, iPhone um, iPhone store. Um, they're, they're free apps, but uh, you go through those, those Play Stores for that. Uh, be sure to subscribe for our monthly newsletter release about news, new programming, upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at radioforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. All right. So thank you, Ken. If you have any closing thoughts, let us know. Uh, please, uh, please direct the audiences to your website. The closing thought I will have is do not underestimate the power of your intentions. And I would recommend you pull the string on why you have the intentions that you do. Thank you. What underlies them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and uh, I will second the intentions. And um, if anyone else wants to do a little bit of writing, you guys can always find me at meditativewriting.org. All right. Great, great. Thanks so much to all of you. Um, We're going to get a little music. Uh, I selected uh, 99 Red Balloons. So this should be fun. And uh, thank you so much, Ken. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Thank you. you for inviting me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Back at base, box in the software, flash the message, something's out there, floating in the summer sky, 99 red balloons go by.
Summer sky, 99 red balloons go boom. 